0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living in This Queer Body, a podcast about barriers to embodiment and how our collective body stories bring us back to ourselves. I'm Asher Panjuris, and as always, I am so glad you're here. Today, I am thrilled to celebrate the three-year anniversary of the podcast. We have had... Over 250,000 downloads and released 51 full length episodes, along with some really powerful pandemic dispatches. The podcast has become a platform that has connected queers through Instagram, workshops, and group intensives. This community has allowed me to get to know so many beautiful, inspiring, and generative people. And I'm really humbled at all that has come into being over these past three years. And I look forward to many more. If you want to support the podcast uh, and its continued sustainability, you can um, go to livinginthisqueerbody.com and click on the support button, you can make a one-time donation or become a sustaining donator, supporter. And really that money goes toward the cost of editing and the cost of transcribing episodes. Everything else is really just uh, a DIY operation, including me and my laptop and the microphone I bought for 20 bucks, uh, three years ago. So I am glad it's all coming together and holding up. And here we are three years later. Um, we have a great guest on this episode who showed up with such openness and willingness to ask and answer complex questions, someone who is inhabiting the X, as they say, and offering us all some hard-won tips about how to radically accept and honor our care needs. But first, I have just a few announcements. Starting in May, um, I am going to be bringing back Always Coming Home a support group that is open to all people who are actively working on disordered eating recovery or navigating trauma experienced in institutional eating disorder settings. Uh, This is going to be a small online group. It will be limited to 10 people. It'll happen over the course of 12 weeks on Mondays from 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. There's a lot more information um, on my website. You can find out more there, submit a quick application uh, at livinginthisqueerbody.com or through the uh, link in my Instagram bio at livinginthisqueerbody. There is a application deadline of May 15th. So if you're interested, hop on it and become one of the 10 people that will go on this journey with me. Um, The group is decidedly anti-diet, trauma-informed, health at every size oriented, and it's open to all queerly-bodied people and dedicated to, and open to all queerly-bodied people and their cis allies. Dedicated to uncovering the white supremacist delusion, inner cop, fat phobic and ableist beliefs, capitalist notions of success, wellness industrial complex conspiracies and body shame that reside in all of our psyches. So please consider joining if you are interested and if this resonates for you. My second announcement is that uh, Onyx, Fuji and I, um, who are the co-directors of the Kintsugi Therapist Collective are really excited to announce that. Thanks to an incredible amount of interest, encouragement and support, we are now enrolling a second embodied private practice cohort that will begin in September. So Kintsugi Therapist Collective's Embodied Private Practice Cohort is a year-long mentorship offering for clinicians who are beginning or revisioning private practice. And we're going to always be focusing on embodiment and sustainability. Combining reality-based, capacity-conscious, clinical and business consultation, mentorship will focus on the ways that therapists can be nurtured by clinical practice, avoid burnout and commit to sustainability, self-care and healing. We will continue reading applications on a rolling basis until all available spots are filled. Due to the fact that there is a waiting list that was generated the last time around, we encourage anyone who's interested to apply as soon as you are able, as there are limited openings, our application is linked on our website at Kintsugi Therapist Collective.com, or you can go to and follow, which I encourage you to do anyway, because you can find some amazing clinicians, um, our inspiring and fantastic collective members, some of whom are accepting new clients, um, at Kintsugi Therapist Collective on Instagram. And there's a link in our bio for the application. Okay, so those are my announcements. I want to introduce our guest and I guess I'll start with a little bit of a story. So our knowing of one another began as a short series of conversations about a really fascinating book called Everybody that was written um, and published recently by Olivia Lang. During the second year of the pandemic, um, Joey and I, started talking about the challenges of embodiment and kind of our own efforts individually uh, to access discourses around what gets in the way of knowing and being able to name our body experiences. And so what started as as these kind of conversations during um, during the second year of the pandemic became a full-length interview in which Joey Salloate and I talk about their trans family, the six genders in the Torah, the feeling of cross-dressing as a cis woman, the importance of having a coven or a care team as a trans human, moving away from admin as a love language, naming what often goes unnamed, epigenetics, and much more. If you don't already know, Joey Soloway is an artist, activist, and filmmaker. They created the Emmy and Golden Globe winning series, Transparent, the cult feminist series, I Love Dick, as well as Afternoon Delight, which received the Sundance Directing Award. They are currently working on the South Commons Experiment, a documentary about race, architecture, and memory. They are the co-founder of 5050 by 2020, launched East Side Jews, and are on the board of Nefesh Temple. They are amidst development on podcasts, television, and film projects that fulfill the Topple Productions mission of elevating marginalized artists and their stories. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, give the podcast a five-star review and share it with someone you love. Thanks so much for listening. So glad we finally found a time to do this and thank you for actually initiating this conversation a while back during the pandemic yeah i'm really glad to be talking to
1: you and um listening to you during the pandemic was an amazing sense of safety for me so thank
0: you mm, oh I'm glad. as always i we will start with this question and as i've said to many guests i i actually have have tried to answer this question myself many times and um i think it's a it's a really complicated one and, and always evolving so we'll see how it lands today for you but i, I guess i'm curious about maybe one of your earliest memories of um either being in a body or any messaging you got about early on in your life about what it meant to be in a body? Yes, of course. I thought about this because everybody
1: shares it. And I, I, I guess I always go back to this memory that is quote unquote, my first memory. And I don't know if it comes from a photograph or from stories or from a feeling, but I think I can, you know, Rely on it as my first memory. I don't know if it really is in my body, but I was standing at the window of the apartment that we lived in, waiting for my parent to come home. And there was like a circular driveway in the front of our building, and I would wait to see their car enter the circular driveway. And,
2: you know, just kind of like waiting for, at the time it was my dad, but um, she's, you know, my parents was waiting for her to get home.
0: It's interesting that the, and I think this is true of a, of a lot of people actually that I um that I interviewed that the first, that often, not always, mm-hmm. but often our first memory is that we can recall is, is often tied up in, in some way with kind of remembering what it felt like to be in your body. You know, that there's something about, it's not like, the story someone told to you mm. about something you were doing when you were younger, but actually, um, like just that that image. Um, yeah, is, yeah. Do you remember like, what?
1: I'm, yeah, like imagine me in kind of like a Carter's onesie jumping up and down, kind of excited, like <laughs> excited, holding on yeah. to the little bar. Yeah, uh-huh. definitely excited. Like,
3: uh-huh.
1: I think they were in maybe in medical school at the time and. Yeah, I mean, of course, again, you know, as I'm sure you can imagine all the memories I'm going, I'm having to kind of go back to, because in our house, it's like three out of the four people were in the wrong gender. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's such a trans family that my memories were of me being, I don't know if I was actually, I think those are actually non-binary memories, just being like a little toddler in pajamas waiting for, you know, at that time, daddy.
0: When you say going back, what has that been like for you? Or what, how is that feeling for you right now?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm really at the beginning of it. I'm really starting, you know, to realize at this late age, you know, what my gender really is. So mm. I'm, in a recovery process as well, where I'm gonna be like kind of doing the inventory and I'm so excited to revisit, you know, all of these memories that I experienced as, you know, being perceived as cis and female and kind of knowing something was wrong, but not knowing what. So it's like, I have to like keep going back to different periods of my life and being like, okay, that was, you know, that was me cross-dressing as a woman you know this was me cross-dressing, mm-hmm. you know and this was yeah. me in drag and and um it's deep i feel like it's going to take me 100 years and i'm on like day three
0: how how do you get to the place where you're excited about it because i i guess i mean i find that to be really interesting and impressive or something like that but i you know from my own experience i guess i I think I still have a lot of um, a, a kind of protective uh, avoidance or dissociation around wanting, you know, having having a curiosity. I guess it's it's developing over the years, um, but like a curiosity about returning to memories where I clearly was, you know, operating as kind of a cis you know young girl and that it it, it, even just saying that is kind of yeah it's really true yeah it's it's awful well it's yeah it kind of feels awful but also is it's it's true i mean it's it's sort of true like that's how i was being perceived and how i was socialized and so i wonder what the excitement what's the excitement for you
1: well it's not exciting but unfortunately it's necessary You know, Mm -hmm. exciting would be like, had I been assigned X at birth, you know, that's like Mm. what we all dream of is like that we had been born as we are and seen as we are from the moment we were born. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always comparing things to that. You know, I'm, I'm always comparing my amount of trauma to cis people who don't have to have that reckoning with their past, their gender. And in particular, their. Per- I mean, I just feel like my whole personality, or much of, not my whole personality, a certain amount of my pe- personality was informed by. You know, not knowing that I was trans, and and, tr- and not understanding why I didn't pass as cis, and not having even these words. Yeah,
2: yeah. Do you,
0: do you have a sense of what helped? you to be able to access the words um
1: I think you know I haven't quite like really shared the words yet I haven't made anything as Joey Mm. and so there's nothing that really I've even written down about you know what it means to be seeing myself as a guy who was assigned female at birth and so my gender is x and end of story you know in terms of any interventions i take or what you know my pronouns are it's just like it's that
2: simple mm-hmm. and i feel i feel like i'm
1: just kind of trying to i think i feel like i'm trying to get through every day in a world that doesn't understand you know what i am mm. so the big the big questions of like, what was truly me and what was me, not only being trans, but also was me thinking that behaving like a woman or like a girl was like this necessary thing to get what I wanted. Like, I really struggled with that for nigh on 50 years or 40 years. Mm -hmm. I was always like, why does everything feel so weird? And why, you know, why doesn't this make sense? And, you know, people see me as a powerful woman, like, no idea what they're talking about, you know, like as I started to gain power in my career, you know, I was started to realize that, like I had actually been dressing as a guy and being one of the guys and just being a dude, but being so in a very just like buddy way.
2: Mm. And
1: now, this like new thing, you know, like me realizing like how people are calling me ma'am, and people are treating me like this kind of woman. and You know, I mean, just all all the disassociation that you do when these things have been happening throughout your life and you don't know why. Yeah. I think for me, I just thought I was a feminist. (laughs) It never (laughs) occurred to me like, oh, I'm a guy. Wow. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. and I I look to people like you and everybody younger than you kind of just like get a clue about what the possibility is for me as somebody whose gender is X. Because very few people, my generation, you know, are
2: that I hang out with. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've talked about this on the podcast, but you know, I mean, I I sort of do the same thing, and I I think it's really, it's such a strange experience. Like, I look to my my daughter is almost thirteen, and you know, it's. And she's very comfortable, you know, in the, at this point in, you know, the gender that she resides in. And yet it was, it's really like the expansiveness of how her generation sort of just relates to gender and queerness and, and all of that that, that yeah. even allowed, like, it allowed me to, feel like it was OK to kind of assert or name my you know, my identity as non-binary. And yeah. I am like a queer, you know, it, you and like it's similar. You like you made this, you know, you've made work about transness. You've made right. right? And like I've I am like a therapist who works with, <laughs> with right. like right. trans people. Right. And I and yet there's something about like occupying i don't know like occupying your own body um that is it, it, sort of beyond language i don't i don't know, I don't know yeah. exactly what i'm asking but or but i think i understand or I, I think i understand a little bit of what you're you're kind of getting at there
1: yeah it's like it's almost like i feel a little bit like that i have to go through life as this like sacrificial lamb for the old people because like the you know how they say like Mm. if you're born in the wilderness like the young people were born in the wilderness where they understand that pronouns are a portal you tell somebody your pronouns they could change the end of the day or the next day or never right and they get it in a second they get like new name new pronouns done you know and i don't know i just
2: As a non-binary person,
1: I really kind of like love the idea of inhabiting the X, like that I'm standing there in the middle of the X on my driver's license. Okay. I was actually, you know, at a doctor's appointment today. And like it was regarding, you know, potentially trans medicine, but like trans sort of
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, trans masculization surgery. I was the first non-binary person they had ever met. You know, they do this. And so I I was like pulled into the room with the medical biller and another person where she just not only like had a million questions to ask me and asked for my forgiveness because she was so new at this, but just wanted to know so many things. Like I had a girlfriend, you know, it was Mm. so, I think that's also part of the reason I was so frazzled when I started, like I had besides like, Appointments being double booked. I had just come from a situation where I was just like Mm. misgendered and had to really like fawn to Mm. make sure that I was going to get good medical treatment.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Mm. (sighs) You know? Mm. Yeah. It's a
1: lot. It's a lot. And then to be like, oh, and I do have an anxiety disorder, you know, and I'm trans and, you know, like, I'm driving you know like it's a lot
3: yeah
1: and then, yeah and get and just being misgendered and having to be really nice about it because if you say the things you want to say then I think like especially when it comes to medicine you know you're gonna they're gonna be like not treat you as well mm-hmm. well not just medicine every situation I'm in where I'm dealing with a cis world and I'm trying to whatever it is pitch something or
2: sell something or get something I'm always having to like disassociate and fawn. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you, Everybody like, yeah, just wants to. Yeah, all of the things that people do, you know, especially of my generation, you know, misgendering you and then needing to apologize and talk about themselves for 20 minutes afterwards.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. I know. Ugh. I guess I'm just wondering if you I mean, it. it maybe you don't know what the implications of this are but i guess i wonder if you you know have been noticing at all what the <clears throat> what the impact of that kind of like fawning response um like the cumulative impact of that has been for you i mean you mentioned anxiety but i just i guess the I'm thinking back to, you know, how we sort of began communicating a little bit about this book. Um, everybody and everybody. This,
1: oh, yeah. Did you get to read it?
0: I did. I re- I did read it. And it's, you know, it's really interesting, particularly for me as someone who's who's studied psychoanalysis. And is you know, that it's something I professionally interested in, but but the, the history of kind of how trauma resides in the body um, is, you know, of great interest to me um, yeah. personally and professionally. So, you know, I guess part of what what I'm interested in, you know, is is to hear. And you, again, like sometimes we just don't actually know or can't track these things exactly. But if you have a sense of how some of this is this kind of process is cumulatively impacting you um Mm. and by this process i mean you know the fawning the kind of like repressing or just repressing around frustrations or the dissociation um
1: and i think the mapping really goes with fawning like you're really Mm. mapping for danger yes and you're really kind of never really present because you're trying to get cues of how to be because you don't really understand what's going
2: on Mm. if you're trans. Mm.
1: So, yeah, I think like, I'm just kind of now recognizing that taking up residence in my body isn't just about feeling my body, but I'm kind of like all hands on deck, collecting multiple parts of therapy in my life to really try to name um, the system around my body, the parasympathetic system, the vasovagal system. I guess with my therapist, I call it the honey. Mm. Stuff in my body that I wanna have so that when something good is happening that I know it's good and I can enjoy it. Mm. And it's been working, it's really working. I'm also working with somebody who does Feldenkrais.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: So she's kind of like activating the feeling body through like me noticing my skin Mm -hmm. and then connecting to like what's happening. I think between the skin and the bones, like everything in the muscles. And so she's like helping me. She's almost like a witch who's conducting the sort of like, physio soul of my body Mm. when I'm working with her and then I'm working with my therapist on just like really knowing how to enjoy being (laughs) because I'm really used to controlling and running everything taking Mm. care of everybody I used to say that like I wanted to make t-shirts that said admin is my love language (laughs) I just love taking care of people's tedious shit for no reason I don't know why I love organizing. I love planning, but it's really made it so that I don't ever, you know, just chill and let other people take care of me. Mm. I can totally chill as long as, I, as long as I've taken care of all the details. Right, um, But it's this very, yeah, very like kind of in some ways lonely thing where I'm like always trying to run the show of reality so I can feel safe. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm into it. As I said, I'm like, just starting going like okay joey has a body i know yeah, i missed you... so many years i missed like four 50, so many years now
0: yeah. that feels that grief is is right there yeah mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. does that feel
0: does it feel like um I, I guess maybe I, you know, I just said grief, but maybe it I don't know if it feels like grief to you, but missing, missing the years of being less of an administrator of your life and the life lives of others and more of a, an experiential being like that. To me, that feels like grief in my body, but I don't know what Mm. it feels like exactly for you. Maybe there's some other sort of association. Yeah,
1: I think like the grief is more about just like the embodied part of life that I think I miss, you know, like just having all the wrong sex with the wrong people and not quite knowing what was going on. But I think as a person, I feel in some ways like, you know what, this was for me to figure out at 40 or 50 or to to understand that my parent was trans around when I was 40 and to realize that I was trans, I guess, around when I was 50. So this is, I feel like this is my journey. You know, this was where I was meant to be Mm -hmm. and I didn't really miss out on embodied experiences. I did. I do love directing. I do love producing. And when Mm -hmm. I'm on the set and I'm making things, I'm like a hundred percent (laughs) embodied, So I had a ton of those experiences, but they were mm-hmm. all when I was in charge and running the show. I don't have them like in play. I don't have them like in hobbies. I have them at work. And so, um, and I've performed, you know, like, I think under the, under the, in the realm of art or a stage or a show, yeah, I can do things. Like I remember on Transparent a lot, we you're shooting in a car, you have to go on this thing called a process trailer. Mm -hmm. So like as a director, I'm up on this, like high up on this truck and I'm sitting in this chair and I'm strapped in, you know, and I'm looking, you know, at a monitor at a car that's I'm towing and
2: actors are in the car
1: and we're, you know, racing through city streets while we're filming and it's so fun and it's so exhilarating and I completely trust whoever strapped me in. I'm not even thinking about it. (laughs) Uh uh-huh it's just like a ride i'm like i'm gonna ride through the city and i'm filming something i wrote like it's so fun (laughs) i am not capable of doing that in real life if it was a boat if it was like a a, if somebody was like hey let's sail a boat down the you know i would be like i can't go i'm sorry you know or anything that would give me that kind of thrill Mm. that wasn't like work or like controlled by a professional necessity like oh i have to be on this truck you know but to just like really go have a wild good time within my body you know jump off a cliff or any of those things Hmm. no cannot have not
2: would not
0: what do you how how do you make sense of that what do you think that that's about or what's your guess you know I, i think it's
1: like the the boundaries and the jewish evil eye you know, the Jewish evil eye is like, if you have too much fun, you're going to die. <laughs> but the boundaries of, oh, this is work. I'm getting paid. I have to. Mm-hmm. Like, they somehow cancel each other out. <laughs> and then I'm safe. Mm-hmm. you know, it's like, this is what I'm talking about, about, about the mapping and the paranoia. and You're trying to figure out, you know, when you're in. And I think I was raised other in so many ways. Faith and I were, were raised in a, a racial experiment where it was kind of this sociological planned utopia to use architecture and urban planning to help black people and white people get along. Mm -hmm. And so we were white in a black world, but felt black. My sibling and I were both being raised as girls, girls, but we were boys. Our Mm -hmm. dad was presenting masculine, but was a woman. (laughs) I mean, like, there's a real... As my as my previous therapist used to say, she used to be like Joey. It's a wonder you're walking and talking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she was just like, I can't believe you get out of the house. Like <laughs> the no, the ways in which there was no ground to stand on in the in our childhood, even though it yeah. was so exhilarating because we were in the middle of a huge movement. But like there was no basic, there was no like ground. Like these are your genders. This is your race. <laughs> This is your Mm.
0: body. Mm. Yeah. So there's something about the, like the kind of parameters or structure of, of work versus play or work versus sex or whatever that helps, that kind of helps create that ground for you. Or you found that play
1: play is not allowed. Like if you're going to play, something will go wrong. I promise. Hmm. You know, like you weren't watching, you weren't being careful. And I think this is like the kind of post-Holocaust generation, like hypervigilant. Yep. You know, parents that I come from where Mm. watching and keeping an eye on everything is another trauma response. Mm -hmm. You know, know, somebody wants to kill us.
2: So I get it. Mm. All the epigenetic stuff right do
0: you for folks who don't know i mean you kind of just explained it but for folks who don't know what the epigenetic stuff refers to i mean it essentially for for your, you know from your experience there's been a, a lot of research um
1: you know for yeah, basically yeah i just yeah. try when people don't know i just say like i, I Scientists tortured a mouse with, you know, poisoned strawberries. That that mouse's great, great, great grandchildren didn't like strawberries. Yeah, wouldn't go near strawberries. That's that's basically it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> great yeah. great great grand mouse. You know, so that w- if that's true, then you know, like my my, you know, all of us being children of you know of being refugees and of the feeling of having our lives um on the line all the time you know of course we're going to be activating that all the time you know yeah like this feeling like oh i'm going to be late you know i'm going to be late for an appointment you know my body goes into like meh, meh, meh. you yeah. know alarm alarm sweating call everybody you're in trouble it's your fault you know you didn't like truly tiny things turn on
2: you know gigantic alarm
0: bells. Yeah, and there are, there are re- there's, in that storyline, there is a really, you know, there's a really strong and powerful um, kind of explanation, right? You know, I mean, this one explanation, I guess, would be to say that being in a lineage of, holocaust survivors is one explanation right for that kind of hypervigilance and 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 all of those responses and it lives in your body and yet i think it's it sounds like on t- you know in addition to that what we're talking about is also the the kind of the the experience of being trans having been out as queer, but not out as trans, like the the kind of different registers of either like neat explanations. Uh. And then also this sort of like uh, the the kind of inexplicable, not inexplicable, but just, you know, the narratives that fall apart a little bit um, that aren't as, as sort of simple to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, even though that lineage, that epigenetic lineage, you know, is, I don't think a lot of people really in our contemporary moment really, truly. I don't, I won't say they don't understand that, but I don't think that people, you know, especially the people I work with and, um, you know, I see a lot in the world of disordered eating, you know, especially with, um, people who are you know part of who are Jewish who are part of a lineage of of um holocaust survivors, mm-hmm. you know, generations upon generations um of disordered eating, right? And mm. restriction and all of these kinds of things. And and but it feels inexplicable, right? It feels in your body like what is th- what is this? You know, like what is mm. the, what is the origin or what is the, you know, and sometimes there's obviously plenty of explanations for it, but I guess I just wonder for you, if it feels like the question or the feeling of, of sort of inhabiting the X or, you know, being in a, a reckoning with your body and gender right now feels a little like that for you. Like, what is this? Like, where did this, not where did it come from, but how do I make sense of this? You know, like this is this seems like the answer to the question of why have I always felt weird? Yeah,
1: well, I mean, I think there is a there is for you know I've been doing a lot of research about um, the origins of monotheism and mm. I have recently discovered the name of the mother of Abraham. Um, her name is Amtlai, and at the time that you know the people in the in the Bible and the you know in the Old Testament were living. Um, there were six genders in the torah mm. there was there was man there was woman there was man with a woman's soul there was woman with a man's soul there was androgynous and tum tum and each one is slightly different um but they all describe you know when i can go like oh yeah i could be a man I could be a woman with a man's soul or i could be androgynous i could be tumtum. like i've learned about all of them you know Mm. and so I think the trauma is that we don't have those six genders anymore and we're living in a binary world Mm. and I just wish or I just imagine that we lived in that world you know and Mm. that cisness wasn't as no I don't think cis cis cisness is normalized because I think a lot of people who are cis actually who think they're cis actually they're trans or they know people who are trans but nobody's really using these words yet but imagine, like, if there were always six all the way, you know, everywhere, um, mm. and it was normalized to be, you know, that that would mean that, like, two-thirds of people weren't cis. Mm-hmm. So then the thought exercise is, like, imagine moving through a world where you're the majority as a trans person, and what kinds of privileges would you feel, what would it feel like to walk through the world? You know, I'm always looking at cis men and going like, what would it feel like to feel like that for one day? Mm. just Just to, be- to believe in my ambient sense of belonging, you know, that I can sit the way I want. I can say whatever I want. When I enter a room, I can mm. be, you know, seen and must be seen, you know, when I mm. enter a room, like, wow, what a way to move through life. And then I imagine what if I was assigned X at birth and all of the, you know, all of the content that I ever watched on TV was by trans people and Love Boat was trans and fantasy island (laughs) was trans and the Bible was trans and every genius was trans. Like I try to imagine the privilege of like every single person who's considered a maker of of culture is like me, a non-binary person. Like what would that privilege? How would I walk down the street? And then I just start to get like really like mad that I don't, <laughs> that I didn't do that, you know? Then the exponential, the exponential feeling of being assigned male at birth and also living in patriarchy and the ambient sense of belonging to the world belongs to you. It's these like kind of unnameable, ineffable feelings that I'm always like yearning to feel.
0: Mm. Do you think the moment in the car or like, on this on set with the car, you know,
2: does that that kind of
0: freeing up moment of does that get at some of that? Do you think just momentarily?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely have like as I've been trying to like diagnose myself with TikTok, I've been like, okay, I'm also on the spectrum but I definitely know that I have to put like very heavy blankets on me and pillows on my head for Mm. 10 to 20 minutes to just kind of recharge. And that's always just been me in my life. Of course, I look Mm. back and I'm like, Oh, that was, you know, that feeling of being overstimulated and needing to kind of, you know, feel like you're under like what you're being held. Yep. So now that I recognize that as just one of my coping mechanisms, I'm like, Oh, this is part of, this is one of my strategies to just kind of like transition or to feel better. So there is something about like, I think the restriction of like mm-hmm. somebody else, the safety guy, has strapped me into this chair. I actually can't move. Like it's just similar to the feeling of like the Temple Grandin, like squishing, or for me, like a huge anxiety blanket on me and mm-hmm. like a weighted blanket and weighted things. And then I kind of, can retreat into the space like within my body Mm -hmm. and reset and then kind of re-emerge into the world so yes I know that's a strategy of mine to just kind of clock out Mm -hmm. and allow yeah like allow whoever's in charge of safety on the show to be like okay this is my life is yours you know um Mm -hmm. but like the actual moving through the world and just kind of being and not being filled with self-hatred or fear um yeah I think it just like takes doing it takes active active doing
2: Mm.
0: are there people in your life or that you know or that you see that are kind of helping you to I don't know like chart some way through or towards, you know, that doing like the practicing of, mm. of that,
1: yeah, yeah. I'm really, as I said like I I work with the therapist, oh. I work with somebody on the Feldenkrais kind of overall system, and I'm also in recovery. So all three, mm-hmm. every day, you know, we're all really kind of on the same track. I'm, I'm like, I'm working very hard to name the unnamed parasympathetic system, but you probably have a better name for it. It's like your soul body or your, mm-hmm. your body, body, or your, your mind, body, or I don't know what it's called, but it's, yeah, I guess it's like the honey to just be able to activate the part where you can feel good. But yeah, I have a group of, you know, we have, a, I have like my coven mm-hmm. that I'm in circle with and ceremony with all the time, Mm. um, sometimes, you know, a few times a week Mm -hmm. and really on that journey of holding space for the divine feminine as a kind of ritual and spiritual practice.
0: Mm. It feels important to, to sort of underscore that just because, um, as much as, you know, we might say, or you and I might say like the, these, you know, kids these days, like they, you know, they can, they can think more fluidly about lots of things and, you know, all of this, you know, which is, is true, you know, in a lot of ways, the discourses are are really becoming much more expansive about bodies and gender and sex and all sorts of things. But I, I also think that, you know, there is, there is always a kind of a need at least that i feel you know to remind even my younger patients you know of the fact that kind of we all need a coven or a team or mm-hmm. uh, you know that the body needs our bodies need a care a care structure right like that we yes. that that is necessary um for many of us um and I don't I don't I think that when you were talking about the kind of like um Jewish evil eye the idea that like something will happen if you don't you know kind of you know if you play right or if you it, it almost feels like yeah we need we need these kind of reminders that nothing bad is is maybe going to happen or or that you can you can do hard things or go to the doctor's appointment that feels super invalidating because you have to because you need to access care and what kinds of support do you need before and after that or you know like there's there's just a lot of work essentially in Trying to stay alive and trying to stay in your body. Um. Yes.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that idea of like, you're not in trouble. You haven't done anything wrong. Mm. Those two sentences are just something I feed myself all the time and share with my friends. And Mm. as we are trying to name a kind of like consensus around what the divine feminine feels like, Like, those are the first two things. Like, you're not in trouble. You haven't done anything wrong. And then it's like, you know, your mother, your grandmother, you know, Asher, you're perfect. You're perfect exactly as you are. Like, more for you. More rest. Mm. More yumminess. Like, imagine, you know, just an adoring mother and grandmother smiling and beaming at you and being like, there's nothing to worry about, you know. That's also what I feel I was you know, deprived of growing up mm. um, assigned female in patriarchy. Mm-hmm. So that's been a big part of my journey, really learning about when the Jews were the people of the trees before we were the people of the book and reclaiming our, you know, our witch practices and our traditions, our goddesses and our historical figures,
2: you know, like like Amtlai, like Mother of Abraham. As this, thank you for
0: sharing that. I mean, I think that's that's really powerful, and I, I guess I, I think about you
2: being a parent and how how it was
0: or how it has been for you to, I don't know, to navigate some of. Some of what you're navigating now um, reflecting on parenting younger children let's say for instance and um, whether or not you felt as if or you feel currently like you did have a focus on offering or trying to offer those kinds of affirmations or that kind of you know You're not in trouble. It feels it feels very much like something that is you know optimally not always at Mm -hmm. all but optimally said to children, right? Like you you're not in trouble. You didn't do anything wrong. You're you know your body is perfect. You're you're like you deserve rest. Like it's It's okay, right? Yeah. Like it feel it it, you know it's like kind of these affirmations that I wish you know every child and every like a inner child of an adult right like that Mm -hmm. would have. But did do you feel like you had kind of access to, to that or have had you access to that? mean as a that? parent or as yeah, a child? as a parent. As a parent.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think transitioning while parenting really allowed me to see that, you know, I have an, I have a child who's in his 20s and I have a child who's in his teens. And so I hadn't transitioned for the older one. And I was just like, yeah, a lot, like the self-hating mom, you know, comparing myself to other moms um mm. feeling like i was a failure as a mom and then for my second kid i'm just like god i'm a great dad i'm just <laughs> here all the time i'm just like obsessed with my kid instead of my job wow i'm amazing you know <laughs> and i'm still working you know but like just the the transition of that feeling of like you know a lot of men like never make their kids dinner you know they come home from work and and somebody's taking care of it and so it's a much lower bar for me as a trans masculine person to be an amazing parent, you know, mm. like, wow, I'm making a living and I'm really also showing up for my kid. Like those are the only two pressures on me as opposed to like what my older son, where I was also, you know, the way that women and moms are sort of handed the mantle of the emotional labor of the family brand, <laughs> you know, so I'm meeting all the other moms and it's the birthday parties and it's, Everything. It's socializing. Everything. It's hierarchies. It's who's in, you know, it's your child's social life and your community. And it just felt like, you know, a lot of work. Yeah. I'm sure because I, you know, I was, I didn't realize I was trans, but I just wanted to be super mom, you know, mm-hmm. overdoing in all ways. Mm. Mm-hmm. Just want to be best mom ever. didn't want to be a bad mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am a mm-hmm. fantastic dad. i'm so emotionally connected you've never seen a dad like this
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. right 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 right. totally no i get you i hear it
1: yeah so it's kind of amazing Mm.
2: yeah right exactly flip the switch right right yeah
0: Mm. yeah well you know i i really appreciate you um, kind of coming into conversation with me in in a moment. I guess we always are actually in these moments where um, <laughs> we're in transition, quite literally. Like we, you know, we've never arrived. But I think some people feel maybe like they've arrived, and um, but it, I just think it's a real it's a real gift both you know, to me and to the people listening that that you are keep keep being struck during this conversation by kind of feeling like you're granting permission just by by example sort of by saying, you know, when I was a mom, I, you know, was doing this and I put so much pressure on myself. And it 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 sort of just I don't know, it kind of normalizes this idea that like we they're different parts of ourselves and some of them just don't, aren't, they don't work. They're not working for us. And we, we move into parts that feel Ugh. more resonant okay. and that. I, I just really appreciate you kind of naming that and being uh, kind of being in the mix of all of that and, and yeah. telling your story. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. It's like, it's, it's sort of like there's, for me, I find when I, as a masculine person i have much more available femininity and so like the the abundanza feeling of like hey everybody come over i want to cook dinner for everybody like as a patriarch has a lot less self-hatred than what the fuck did i do i invited 20 people over now i have to make dinner for the fuck like mm-hmm. there was this way of like everything felt like a punishment you know i think because yeah, maybe the masculine part of me wanted to host a lot of people, but then like made the feminine part of me run the party. I don't know. It's like when you're yeah. not binary, you don't know what was going on <laughs> in all those years. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm a lot less, yeah. I'm just like accepting of myself, you know? I'm just like, yeah, this is me, you know? I don't know. I think we all just go through it yeah. throughout our entire lives. But the pandemic, for me, my parent coming out as trans and then the pandemic, it's, like supersized my transition yeah just getting all this information you know in my 40s and now like I think I'm having had the past three or four years to just really again like I'm so excited to be talking to you but it's like to see people like you you know and just be like Mm -hmm. oh I'm like Asher you know Mm -hmm. like to see other they thems and be like yeah there's these are my people like I'm normal I'm okay But I'm great, you know? Mm -hmm. And then in your world and in your trans world and your queer world, you feel so you. And then you go out into the cis world and people like insist on doing all the you know transphobic things and you still have to get over it, you know. Doesn't matter if you're 50 or if you're successful, you know, I'm still having that same feeling of trauma all day when I'm having to like normalize people who want to be congratulated for not being able to forget my old name and my old gender.
3: Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast and it's, yeah, it's been an honor to talk to you.
1: Thank you so much. And I love what you do and thank you for everything
0: you give to the world. to Talk
1: about this that feels specific but it's just it's so universal when i listen to this podcast i recommend it to everybody and
0: thank you thank you